It's really an honor to get to be here uh, this morning and be, hi, hi there, uh, to have an opportunity just to um, share. It's not necessarily a final word with you. Uh, we will be uh, back and forth, um, you know, through the years. We're moving down, and I know you'll be sad to hear this, we're moving to Camarillo, and um, yeah, and you know, somebody's got to live there and uh, and bring the love of Jesus there to that community, and so we're making the sacrifice, and, and we're, we're heading that way. Um, but anyway, the, uh, Pastor Tom asked me some months ago uh, if uh, I might have a word for the church, and, uh, and uh, so I went to prayer, and, and God's given me uh, a word for you this morning, and I'm uh, excited to share it. I'm a little bit rusty, but uh, hopefully uh, the word will be clear enough. Uh, I want to go right to the first scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43. The message is called The Art of Brokenness. And uh, the, the, the scripture, we see it on the screen, our bodies are buried in, what's it say? It, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Brokenness and we're going to address this whole perspective of what this word means. Uh, in the original language, it speaks of dishonor. It speaks of indignity. It speaks of reproach. The verse tells us that we are broken, that we're weak, that we're vile. And the passage covers the whole person. Uh, brokenness of body, uh, brokenness of soul, which is our mind, our emotions, our will. Uh, brokenness of spirit, when we feel powerless and, and hopeless, similar to some of the words we heard in the song a moment ago. We feel ineffective. We feel disconnected to the Lord. We are buried in brokenness. Now, it would be really, really wrong if I left it at that. And sometimes we hear that kind of message and we're able to identify and go, yeah, okay, I'm broken. Uh, but the promise in the verse, what do we see there? Jesus says we will be raised in strength. Jesus has something to say about our condition. Take a look at Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, and you'll see it on the screen. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and then it says, because, and I want you to notice because, because a lot of times we hear people talk about, gee, it's wonderful to have the Spirit of the Lord upon me. Well, there's a because added to that. There's a reason for that, and it's not just about the feel-goods. Jesus said, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now break the verse down with me just quickly. Uh, to preach the gospel, giving good news, the good news of hope, sharing some hope with someone near you, uh, to heal the brokenhearted, your body, your soul, your spirit, in the Greek, the word means to break in shivers. You know what it means, to break in shivers, to break in pieces, uh, to bruise. Uh, it speaks of liberty from what imprisons us, our addictions, our habits, our, our hurts, our hang-ups. Uh, it speaks of recovery of sight. And the Spirit, I believe, prompted me in this particular statement, being able to see it God's way again. Recovery of sight, not just a, a physical problem with vision, but recovery of sight. And now I speak to those of you who have known the Lord for a while, and you feel like you've just lost sight. 
And what we need is the ministry of Jesus Christ to touch us once again and allow us to see, see it from his vantage point to experience what recovery of sight can actually mean. And then the fifth one, to free the oppressed. The Amplified Version defines oppressed as those who are downtrodden, those who are bruised, those who are crushed, those who are broken down by calamity, where, where circumstances has beat us. So now Jesus has something to do about your brokenness. And I want to illustrate this by weaving uh, something through the message uh, for us today. I retired from uh, public school, high school teaching last May. Um, retired. Um, <laughs> I taught art at the high school level for 25 years. Uh, Sandy and I, through prayer, planned that 2014 and 15 would be my last year, and I wanted to make it count for my art students. It was a whole different feel knowing this is it. This is my last time with this class and last time with that class. And um, I put a sign on my classroom door that read, Through these doors walk the greatest artists in Kern County. That's what I put on my door. And then I thought a little bit, well, is that true? Am I being too optimistic here? Should I have not said that? I mean, how many of my artists have become Picassos or Rembrandts or Michelangelos or Van Goghs? And, you know, Highland High is on the east side. And some people think, well, you don't expect a whole lot from there. And, and, uh, but I believe that Highland is the best kept secret in town. And really enjoyed the kids that are there and working with them. Some people might see that sign and say, come on, be realistic. They, they're not the greatest artists in Kern County. You shouldn't say that, but as a teacher, can I look at my students and see their potential? Can I look at them and see the possibilities, the unlimited prospects of what they might achieve in their life? I think so. My Bible reads in Ephesians 3.20, can, God can do anything. You know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. The Lord has incredible hopes for us. Just as I might look at my students, the Lord would look at us. And he would say, I can do things beyond what you can imagine through your life. I love imagination and the role that it plays in our lives. Look at Philippians 4.13.4. I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. That is spoken for believers. And we can do everything with strength and power. It can be done right out of our brokenness. So on the first day of school last year, my first period class entered the room. And uh, they saw the sign above the door as they walked in. And they happened to be my combined uh, intermediate and advanced art class. And so all of them have a little bit of talent. They couldn't get into intermediate art unless they had a B in beginning art the year before. They couldn't get in advanced art unless they had at least a B in intermediate art the year before. And I think we got a picture of them. Oh, yeah, you see them there. Uh, just some great kids. 
I watched them as they came in, and they uh, seemed excited to be back in school. I went over the uh, initial preliminary things that you do on the first day, and then I, I took the advanced students aside, and I wanted to talk to them about their first assignment. I told them that they would do a flower still life painting on watercolor paper. Each of them would select and arrange some artificial flowers. They would take a picture of it and then paint their composition on watercolor paper. Now, they were excited. They thought, you know, I, I can do this. They felt they could do it probably pretty well. But then I said, oh, by the way, did I tell you? You will not be using your hands in this painting. Your brushes will be held in your mouth. Well, their mouths dropped open. (laughs) I went on to explain that art is not in your hands. It's in your heart and it's in your mind. And uh, I had them read an article about a high school student named Heather Graham, very good student in all subjects. She had art which she loved very much, but unfortunately, Heather suddenly, middle of the year, contracted some kind of a disease that rendered her arms and her hands useless. She was so sad because she couldn't paint anymore, but at the prompting of her teacher, she thought, maybe I can paint with my mouth. So she began to put brushes in her mouth. She did incredible work. The the students were amazed that someone their age could be doing such fine work. I told them about a global organization. There's a global organization made up of the people around the world that paint by mouth because they've either through an accident or through war or something along that line. Is this going to fall off of me? Uh, Anyway, they, they, you know, they... There's a global organization, and and they do phenomenal artwork, and I showed my students examples of their work, and they were just, it was unbelievable, because it looked like it was artwork done by hand, remarkable accuracy in the work that was accomplished. Um, In fact, we've got a few slides as they began to paint a little bit, and so they used the drawing board, and they held it up close, and and then worked with their brush and began to paint their flowers. Um, And and they were were pretty excited about it. Uh, The Lord can and is and will do similar things in our lives, working through our brokenness, helping us to find his creative direction and what he would desire our lives to produce for his kingdom. Uh, After the kids were finished with their paintings, I said, I want you to write about it. Write about your experience now in doing this assignment. But I said, oh, by the way, I want you to write with your offhand. So they had to write an essay now with their offhand, trying to talk about what they were experiencing. And, you know, they just said incredible things. You know, they they felt like they... uh, they learned a lot. They felt like they would never be able to do it. And then suddenly uh, they thought they would hate it. They thought they uh, would be ineffective. But then they wound up getting into it. And, and, and they thought, what are we, are we looking at something? Yeah. Uh, they felt like, wow, I like my painting. I like what I did. So overall, they loved the assignment. Um, they learned that art does not come from just the hands. It comes from your heart and your mind. 
Jesus spoke of our potential when a father was broken over his son's demonic condition. They came to him for help. Uh, they had gone to the disciples. The disciples couldn't help out. In Mark 9, 17 and 23, the father brings his, his son who's possessed to, to Jesus. And the father says, if you can do anything, take pity uh, on us and help us. And notice what it says in the verse. If you can, this is Jesus' response. You're asking me if I can? Everything is possible for him who believes. If I can, we go to God and say, can you do this? Well, certainly he can do it. Certainly he can. Then look at the, the father's response. He said, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Here's what that means to me. I believe in God, but can he really do that? You know what I mean? And some of you are in that position right now. Well, sure, yeah, I believe in, in Jesus, but I, I don't know if he can deal with this. And Jesus is saying, if I can, certainly I can. But you have to believe we can get it done. Jesus is saying your possibilities are great if you believe, if you have faith, especially uh, in the midst of your despair and your brokenness. Another example for you hard rockers that are out there. Uh, some of you might remember the hard rock band Def Leppard. And uh, they had a young drummer when they started, and he was only 14 years old. And his name was Rick Allen. And when he was 21, so he starts at 14 with the band, and then at age 21, he lost his arm in an auto accident. But he learned to play drums with one hand and his feet. And he said this, what I have experienced in losing my arm, I wouldn't change. The human spirit is so strong. Some of the things some of you have faced and maybe are facing, you need to know how strong your spirit can be. And especially with the help of Jesus Christ through your hard time. This musician's brokenness became a, he became a person that had more passion and more compassion. He had a greater satisfaction in life and in his career. When we're broken, we must believe the Lord's hearts to help us overcome, to help us get to that place. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. However, as it is written, I love this verse. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You're familiar with the verse, at least some of you are. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul is quoting from Isaiah 64, verse 4. So the Apostle Paul is writing this in the New Testament. And he says what God has prepared for those who love him. But Paul has taken it from Isaiah 64, which reads... The latter part reads, for those who wait for him. It doesn't say for those who love him. It says for those who wait for him. The New Testament reading, love him. And, the re- and I ask myself, well, why? The Old Testament, they were waiting for their Messiah. In the New Testament, we see the Messiah in Jesus Christ. And we know him. And we can love him. And when we wait on the Lord, it, it's not like waiting for a bus. 
Waiting includes a process. In fact, the Hebrew word for wait is haka, meaning to long for. It means piercing. It comes from a word meaning a carved, hear the, a carved work of art. It means portrayed. It means a, to set a print, another art statement. While you're waiting for him, he is carving you. He's sculpting you. And your job is not just to wait, but to love him while he sculpts, while he designs, all because you love him. My mouth, the only painters, they had to learn a different way. And they had to work with their heart and mind. And we need to learn that as well in this life. We need to work with our hearts and our minds, our spirit energized by God's presence. And here's another thought. Sometimes in life we paint with no hands. Well, some of you, you got to have your hands in everything, right? And sometimes we need to take our hands off. And the Lord is saying, you, you wait. You love me and you wait. Let me do the sculpting. And the Lord can work in that kind of situation. And so we wait in love. Not in hopelessness. We wait in love. After a few weeks of time, it was time for my student's second assignment. I gave them each a large canvas. I told them they were to paint a landscape or a cityscape in oil paint. And they were smiling. They're thinking, great, finally, no more mouth painting. And then I said, oh, oh, but did I tell you? This time, you won't be using any brushes. You're going to paint with your fingers. And I showed them what work of professional artists who paints completely with their fingers, and it's just mind-blowing. Some people uh, jokingly say, oh, yeah, I I can't paint, but I can finger paint. Uh, This is not like what we did in second grade. For my students, it was a tough challenge. Most had never worked in oil paint. They wore latex gloves. Uh, they uh, They were pleased with what they created. We see a picture up here somewhere. Boom. All right, there's one. She's got her gloves on. Now look at this one. That's all with his fingers. And when he was about to paint the, uh, go back to that. When he was about to paint the uh, umbrella handle there, he was struggling. And I said, well, you know, maybe you can get like a, a piece of bark off a tree and you, can, and you can do it like that. And he said, no, that wrecks the integrity of the assignment, Mr. Ruff. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he was right. I said, okay, all right. You got it. And so that's basically uh, what they were doing. It's a big statement when you paint uh, with your fingers. Uh, It's not little nuances. It's not little details. It's about color. It's about texture. It's about movement within the composition. It has to be simple. It has to be bold. The Lord gave a bold assignment to Abraham. Remember in Genesis 12, the Lord said, Leave your country, leave your people, your father's household, And go to a land I will show you. That's a bold statement with no details. And I'm sure that Abraham was thinking, you know, uh, this lacks some information for me. I mean, how am I going to do this? How will I live? How long is the trip? Am I coming back? Virtually no details were given, yet he boldly went. That's a big, bold uh, stroke in terms of of a painting in our lives. 
Another example is Moses. In his brokenness, basically said, well, who am I that I should go? Moses, the one who took a person's life, he was fleeing to Midian. He saw the burning bush, and then he heard God's voice say, I'm sending you. And it likes, he, he feels completely inadequate. But it's a big and it's a bold stroke that he would have to take. Jesus gave an assignment to us, a very bold one. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Doesn't say specifically how or when or where or what our role is, what our ministry is to be. No details. We just go and we paint boldly. And that's life, what I call bold life painting. Some of you are like that. You life paint in broad, bold strokes. I believe Pastor Tom paints in broad strokes. Anybody agree with me? Just broad strokes. He's seeing stuff. And it hasn't happened yet, but he's seeing stuff. And uh, that's why he needs a team. And I'll say more about that in a moment. The third assignment with my students, I said, you're going to paint a landscape this time. They were happy. I said, with brushes, they were happy. And I went, oh, but did I tell you, you're going to work in miniature. And I gave them a two-by-two-inch canvas and a one-hair brush. And uh, so that was their assignment. They had to deal with every single detail in this painting. Some used the magnifying glass to see that. Sometimes our journey requires us to be very detailed, and it can be laborious. It can be tedious. Some of you are detailed people. You're gifted that way. Uh, You may not feel comfortable with a big, broad canvas thing with bold strokes, but little details, yeah, you can do that. Other folks prefer big, bold uh, approach, but they suffer with the details. Often they need detail help. In real life, we'll be called. In real life, we'll be called to be bold at times. We'll be called to be detailed at times. And from our brokenness, we can see emerging an incredible work of God as we look to him and wait on him and love him. It's good to have a team to follow the Lord's lead. Small canvas people get the detail thing. They like that, that verse that says, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What a challenge for each of us. Well, detail people kind of get that. That works for him. Jesus gave a a detailed assignment to two of his disciples in Matthew. He said, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and they will send them right away. He, He gave them the details of what was to happen. In my life, sometimes I'm painting in the large canvas, bold, giant steps of faith and decisions, no details. Then I'm painting with the small canvas, how-to, all of the little details. We have a friend, uh, Sandy and I, widowed. Uh, uh, in her life, she pretty tough road for her, um, struggling in her life. Then she suffered an aneurysm, putting her life, uh, struggling to try and put her life together. And then she became a Christian. And uh, she, she was in a, uh, a home group. 
uh, study that, that we were having in her home. And, and through prayer and discussion, she was, she was saying, you know, I, I'm not sure what the Lord wants me to do. And we, just, we talked about, well, what do you feel in your heart you would like to do? And so we kind of batted that around a little bit. And, and finally it was to start a business, a small business. Well, Sandy helped out a little bit with funding, uh, with some of the details, and the thing got rolling. In no time, uh, she paid uh, the money back. Uh, The business is going fine. It required bold steps, uh, scary steps at that stage in life, coming out of her brokenness, finding Christ, and then finding his will for her life. We all can do that. God's works through our brokenness. He can create a, be- a beautiful, original painting. No one can life paint at life point like you. No two people paint the same. God can paint through your life beyond your wildest dreams. The Apostle Peter was a man who knew brokenness, didn't he? He was reactive. He was impulsive. He denied the Lord three times. Uh, he was broken. With that thought in mind, one day at school, I called a student to my desk. His name was Peter. And I knew he was poor, but I didn't know to what extent. I later learned that his parents were divorced. He had a sister. They rent a home near the school in bad shape. And uh, his mom tries to make ends meet by doing daycare. And I, I asked Peter to look at this flyer that I had in my hand. And it was information about a, an art competition for all of Kern County. And it's called the Green Expo, and maybe some of you have heard of it, uh, where you have to use a majority of recycled materials to create a sculpture that wouldn't be more than two feet high. I asked him how much prize money goes to first place. He looked at the flyer and he said, well, it's $1,000. It's and I asked him, I said, would you like to win that $1,000? And he said, well, yeah. <laughs> That's like a million. I mean, it was like so much to him. Yes. And I said, uh, to do that, you're going to have to put in a lot of hours before school, during lunch, after school. Will you commit to that? And then I told him this. Some of you won't like this, but I said, I don't want you to go for this unless you will target first place. It's got to be your best effort. You've got to use all of your talent, Peter. He looked at me and he said, I'll, I'll do it. I said, okay, come to school early tomorrow. I'll show you the materials that you're going to work with. Next morning he came to my room and this is what he saw. Boom, there it is. What it is is a pile of broken instruments, a broken stand-up bass, a broken violin, the handle's broken off, some old flutophones, trumpets that are dented and beat up. There's some guitar picks. Uh, later, there'll be some old sheet music and, and uh, a 78 RPM record. Any of you remember those? Uh, and I said, you see that pile of broken instruments, Peter? He said, yeah. I said, I want you to make an orchestra conductor out of this. And I want you to call it, call this conductor crescendo. 
the ultimate buildup of intensity and volume within a, a musical composition. Uh, it can be very powerful, very dynamic part of a song. Peter looked at me and he said, let's do it. So we're going we're gonna to speed through some, some pictures there, and I'll say a few things. Go to the next one. So he began sketching. Uh, using a sander, he cut off the head of the scroll of the base. That was going to be the head of crescendo. Next one. Okay, he took, he cut some eyes out of an old doll that he got at uh, Salvation Army. And, and where he had sanded out on the scroll, he glued those in. And then he took some air-dry clay and did that. Now, go back to the other one, Rochelle, the first one. Yeah. That's the brokenness. That's where a lot of us are. It's where we've come from. Some of you might be struggling with some of this right now. But here's the idea that the Lord has. Let's see the next one again now. That's what he's got in mind. It's the same stuff. But God transformed it. He did something incredible with it. Next slide. Then Peter, great artist, isn't he? Started creating the hands. And you know, in a crescendo, the conductor's hands are going like this. And uh, so he began uh, designing the hands. Next one. Uh, the legs were made from the flutophones. Uh, the shoes are clay, and he'll be insetting some guitar, guitar picks there. Uh, you see a little bit of the infrastructure, uh, balsa wood that created the torso and so forth. At this point, you can see a little bit of the plexiglass that he's on. There's a cutoff end of the trumpet underneath, which is mounted on the 78 RPM uh, record underneath all of that. Next slide. The bow tie he made with the tuning knobs off of the stand-up bass and cut the violin. You can see the flutophone uh, the mouthpiece of the flutophone for the shoulders, and he attached those. And next one. Here he is as he's beginning to emerge. Sheet music was his shirt. It's even in the sleeves. Um, there's a gap in between on the violin where he cut it so that he could make him lean back like he's leading the, the orchestra in, a, in the crescendo. He's even got tails on, the, on his coat in the back. I think we have a few more. Let's see what those look like. Oop, not that one. Oh, that's oh yeah, that's where he started, and then that's that's where he started, and then this is how he ended. And just a phenomenal work uh, that he did. The school bought a case to put it in to display it, and he did a he did a phenomenal job in working with that. Uh, it was not an easy thing to do. It took about four months uh, working before school, during lunch. A couple of times he was in my room till midnight. One time his mom and daughter, uh, sister came to, to visit, and while they, we were, they were there, the arms just fell off of him, off of Crescendo. <laughs> and it was like we were starting over again and uh, had to figure out another way to attach things. He nearly gave up. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but the Lord sees us in a similar light. Now, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship 
created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As the teacher, I had the vision for this project. I picked the student to do the artwork. I assisted him with the ideas and approaches. I was available to him. And guess what? Peter won first place. Yeah. In all of Kern County. I wonder if he was the best artist in Kern County. He won $1,000. He was sky high. Endorphins were flowing everywhere. He, he was hugging me. His mom was hugging me. His sister was hugging me. It was, it was crazy. The Lord first created us. We are his workmanship. And workmanship means a thing that is made. And you come, it comes from the word that means banded together, performance, instrument. The Lord has a vision for you. And he picked you. And he will assist you with ideas and approaches. And he is available to you every step of the way. We are people that are buried in brokenness, yet the Lord has carved us, shaped us, and prepared us. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 7 and 8. And I need to, I need to end this thing, but um, it reads like this in the message. If musical instruments, flutes, say, or harps, are played so that each note is distinct and in tune, how will anyone be able to catch the melody and enjoy the music? If the trumpet call can't be distinguished, will anyone show up for the battle? It's important that the body of Christ band together as an instrument. Jesus is our conductor, and he's leading us in a beautiful symphony written by the Holy Spirit. And the crescendo is coming. Since we planted this church in 2005 with a wonderful group of seasoned uh, believers who helped us, can't thank them enough, this church has grown and thrived in different ways. To go through some brokenness, we we went through some brokenness in those early days, uh, some very hard times, yet I have seen such resilience in the church. Uh, So many ministries that reach the community to the elderly, those in prison, adults and and teens, the juveniles, uh, the homeless, the veterans, uh, the global mission field, uh, you know, the neighborhood outreach stuff that you've done. And I want to commend all of you. At LifePoint today, I see an interesting dynamic. Uh, It's the phenomenal convergence of... uh, a lot of experienced, seasoned pastors, assistant pastors, department head people that have been drawn here. And then I also see many faces I don't know. I see people that are new in the Lord, people that are learning to follow the ways of Jesus. And there's a reason for this incredible mix of people. God's got a plan. He's setting the stage to create something that's absolutely phenomenal. And I believe that through the brokenness of this church, God has got this thing working so that he's carving lives. He's carving leaders. uh, He's carving ministries. And that takes time. We wait, but we wait in love. We take some bold strokes when need to, and then we need some detail people that are right there with the one hairbrush dealing with the details. All of that needs to come together. Look at John 12, 6, verse 12. When they had all had enough, 
this Jesus has fed the thousands. He's, uh, he's fed them. And when they had all had enough, he said to his disciples, gather up now the fragments, the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing may be lost and wasted. You know, if Jesus cared enough about some bread and some fish after he's fed thousands of people, he's saying, well, pick that up. Pick it up. How much does he care about us and those around us? He's saying, gather up the fragments. And you may think, I'm just a broken fragment. Jesus is saying, gather that one up. Gather them up. That's me, that's you, that's your, your neighbors, thousands of people around you, the broken pieces so that nothing will be lost or wasted. That's what the Lord wants to accomplish The last verse, uh, Hebrews, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to pray and and, uh, so if you would bow your heads with me, uh, we're going to go ahead and do that quickly and even though it has to be a quick finish, it needs to be an openness to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for each one that you brought here this morning and placed in this room. Each fragment, each person, some are really struggling. Others have seen some pretty cool victories, but the Lord would say, you know, I'm not done with that. Some of you have achieved much within God's church. The Lord is saying, I don't think you retired. There's more going for you. There's more ahead. Heavenly Father, I pray by your grace that you will begin to impart a new anticipation within the church. Lord, that will move from Pastor Tom on down, everyone in the room, excited about what the Lord has in mind, what he will create through this church, even the Christmas play coming, things that have been created. Lord, that you anoint those things and add to the church those that are being saved. Would you stand with me, please? And uh, not really politically correct today, but I'd like us to join hands, if you would, and bridge the aisle. Back in the 70s, we did this every day, every Sunday, but nowadays we don't. But there's something about the unity of the body of Christ. There you are, like an orchestra. And don't picture me here. Let's picture Jesus standing before you. And Heavenly Father, we, we just ask you now, Lord God, by your gracious Holy Spirit, to empower us and lead us. Help us with bold strokes in our lives, decisions that have to be made, tough ones, even when we don't know how they'll be lived out. We don't know how it will be done. Help us, Lord, with the detail work, the little minuscule things that can make things be smooth and effective and covered and pleasing to you. Help us, Lord, when we feel inadequate. We draw strength from one another. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.
for an overabundance of your grace to pour out in each and every one. If you don't know Jesus Christ, just say in your heart right now, Lord, forgive me of my sin and come into my life and lead me on. Lord, we look forward to the crescendo. Let's raise our hands, still joined before the Lord. We're waiting for a crescendo now, Lord, the day that you return, the day of your appearing. We give you thanks. Let's applaud the Lord now, shall we? Hallelujah, Lord. Bless your name. Bless your name, Jesus. Thank you so much. God bless you.